Well, good morning, Life Church, and good morning to all of you who are joining us online this morning. Happy Sunday to you from beautiful Naples Beach in Florida. Uh, today we begin this three-part series at election time designed to make you very uncomfortable and hopefully better for it. It'll challenge us, and challenge always carries with it the potential to make us better. The series is entitled Divided We Fall, because we all know the united we stand part of that saying, right? But the or else part is pretty daunting, isn't it? Okay, so today, religion and politics. Some of you are nervous already. I told a friend that I was speaking on this subject at election time. He said, what's the matter? Don't you like yourself? <laughs> well, I know this subject is a no-win endeavor for me unless, unless there is something with which God wants to challenge us. Yeah? Okay. Now, I have found it very difficult to stay away from the topic of religion in church, but I found it very, very easy to stay away from the topic of politics. But whenever something that Jesus says specifically intersects with our political culture, especially at a time like this in our nation, I'm going to talk about it. Because the words of Jesus are extraordinarily relevant with everything that's going on in our nation right now. And the division that is created uh, in the church that's brought about by this political climate intersects directly with something that Jesus taught. So we're going to look at that this morning. Now, I have become increasingly aware of the political diversity in the churches over my few decades of leadership. And quite a while ago, um, we had some folks leave our church because of an offhanded political comment that was made in a service. Now, keep in mind, this is back when political comments in church were kind of casual and not actually fodder for murder, okay? The church environment back then was assumed to be kind of a home game politically, like, well, we're all on the same team here, aren't we? Well, the truth is, politically, we are not. Not at all. Now, more recently, uh, during the Sunday following the 2016 election, something happened. Churches that were in primarily Republican areas sang with joy and with gusto on that Sunday, and churches that were filled with primarily non-Republicans, they probably didn't even have music on that day. It was like total devastation. But in my own little world, I hear a comment at that time from a neighbor woman, a friend of mine, and this is essentially what she said. I'm scared. She said, I'm scared. Now, I told you this is going to be uncomfortable, so let's just all go ahead and be uncomfortable together, okay? If that woman said that comment to you, I'm scared, and you are a Republican, you'd be like, scared of what? We won. <laughs> now, if the Democrats had won the election, and the Republicans would think, okay, now that's something to be afraid of. But she's thinking something entirely different. Because listen, nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. I'll say it again. Nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. And you probably already know this, but you can raise a lot of money peddling fear. The Republicans are going to take away your opportunity to vote. The Democrats are going to take away your guns. So for $25 or $50 or $100, save America. If the president is reelected, it's the end of the world. If a socialist Democrat is elected, it's the end of the world. So send money, send money and save the world. Now, you can raise a lot of money if you peddle fear. I'm not trying to give you any ideas. I'm just telling you that it works. But here's the question. Here's the question. What exactly within our national context 
What exactly do we fear? I already know the answer to this because it's the same for all of us. We fear loss. Loss. We fear that something's going to be taken away. We fear loss. We feel the loss of control, the loss of opportunity, the loss of freedoms. We fear for the future of our children, things like that. Now, white people, we fear what might happen. Brown and black people fear what has already happened. Maybe for you, it's, it's not theory, it's history, and it wasn't that long ago. So there's fear available for all of us. And so we're in this season where, our, where everyone in our nation is peddling fear. And if we're not careful, we will fall victim to that. And not only that, but we will become divided. And you may not realize this, but we have the whole political spectrum represented in just our little church. And that's good. In fact, if you're looking for a church where everybody's the same, well, you're looking, you're in the wrong church and you're looking for the wrong thing. Here's why because we have this great opportunity. We have the unique opportunity to disagree politically and yet love unconditionally. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to change political parties. I just want us to think a little bit more openly, differently as a Christian. So the question I'm asking you is this, do you think you can do this? Disagree politically and yet love unconditionally. Now, on the surface, you're like, sure, yeah, you betcha. <laughs> but I don't mean just tolerate people from other parties and other persuasions. And I don't mean just be nice with an eye roll. No. Let me ask you again. Can you disagree politically and yet love unconditionally? I told you this is going to be uncomfortable. All right, let me shift gears a little bit here. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus, don't they? I mean, in the U.S., Jesus is a part of every political party. He's in lockstep no matter what your thing is. And if you're a Christian, you're like, oh, yeah, he's with us. He's with us. You pick up a Bible, you can find something that Jesus said or something in the Bible that somebody said to support your political view. And I'm just telling you, this is a heated, heated climate that we're in politically because it is so easy to be divided. And apparently Jesus saw this coming, this division. And divided we fall. We know that. Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 12, a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's not Jesus quoting Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> it's vice versa. Okay, after the Last Supper, Jesus prays a prayer. And in this prayer, there's two really interesting things. Number one, Jesus prays for us in John 17 when he prays. And the second thing is, Jesus has a prayer request. I mean, if you're raised in church, you know what a prayer request is. You're sitting in a circle, your small group's about to end, and somebody says, anybody have a prayer request? Well, imagine sitting in a circle with Jesus, and Jesus raises his hand. He says, I have a request. Really? Yeah, yeah, I got a request here. <laughs> now, wouldn't you like to know what Jesus prayed for? I know what we pray for. Thank you for this day. Get me through school fix my boss, fix my spouse, help my kids, all this stuff. But what did Jesus pray for? Think about this timing. He's about to be arrested and tried and then crucified. And here's what he says. Here's how he prays in John 17. Starts off by saying, the Father, the hour has come. It's like, here we are, three and a half years of walking around with all these guys, trying to explain what you're like, trying to explain what the kingdom is like. And here we are at the end. And he says, 
glorify your son. In other words, light me up in such a way that people will know that and recognize who I am. And then your son will light you up in a way to where people know that we are connected. He says, so that your son may glorify you. The interesting thing here is the hour in which Jesus was most glorified, this time when he was crucified, God was most glorified and we would have been most horrified. But he goes on in in, uh, verse 11, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, meaning his disciples, they are still in the world. Because he's told them over and over again, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. And Peter keeps saying, where are you going? Where are you going? But here is Jesus' prayer request. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Now, the interesting thing to me here is Jesus has already given these guys some bad news. He says, okay, guys, here's what your future looks like. You're going to be arrested, flogged, beaten. Some of you are going to be killed. That's your future. They're like, okay, wait, seriously? But here he's praying that God would protect them, and he's not praying for their physical protection. He's praying for something that he thinks is much more important. Ready? He says that they may be one as we are one. See, at the very end, the thing that Jesus was most concerned about was their unity. Because he knew all along, if they were in lockstep together and in lockstep with their Heavenly Father, they would change the world. But if they ever, if they ever got divided and splintered, then things are going to stall out. And in verse 20, he prays this. This is amazing. He says, My prayer is not for them alone, meaning not just these 12 guys. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, that next generation of Christians and the next generation and the next generation of Christians leading all the way up into us. And what do we think he prays for us? Because the answer answer is not what we pray for. My hunch is that virtually none of us who consider ourselves Jesus followers ask God for what Jesus did. I mean, even though he modeled it, even though he, he made it so clear how important this was to him. He's saying, my prayer is not just for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them, all of them, meaning Jew or Gentile, rich and poor, slaves and free, the educated and the uneducated. And then in the 21st century, this can also mean Republicans and Democrats, meaning the the privileged, the not so privileged, the independent, the indecisive, the libertarians, the librarians, the black and brown and white, married, single, mask, no mask, meaning all of us, all of us, that all the people who call me Lord, no matter where they're from, no matter how good life has treated them or how badly life has treated them, I pray that all of them may be one, which sounds impossible. But Jesus was convinced that as impossible as this may sound, it was mission critical. Meaning even though it seemed impossible, it was imperative. This is not just an add-on. This is not a, wouldn't it be nice if they all just got along? No, not at all. This is a big, big deal. Which means we should all become very intentional about pursuing unity in the church, shouldn't we? Because this is what Jesus prayed for. And it doesn't come naturally, does it? And the reason it doesn't come naturally is because, well, we only know what we know. We've been raised by who we were raised. We've experienced what we've experienced. And we tend to run to our little corners politically, don't we? 
to the place where we're more comfortable, surrounded by people who are like-minded. And Jesus is like, my church is going to be so diverse. My church is going to be so international, going to be so many different cultures and languages and colors. And oh, if they could just remain as one. Then he continues his prayer. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that, there's another purpose clause here, so that, you know why he prays this way? For oneness? This is the shocker. The reason he prayed for oneness, because it's not really about us. He prays for oneness because of what he wants to do through us. Because the truth is, if there's a lack of unity in a local church, that church might survive. But if there's a lack of unity in the church, the will of God will not be accomplished through them. Look what he says. He says, the reason I want them to become one is so that the world, not church people, the world, so the people outside the faith, when they see the unity in spite of the diversity within the church, they will actually come to the conclusion that I have come from you, Father. Unity equals fruitfulness. Disunity equals dead in the water. It's a big deal. So Jesus says, look, this is not just an add-on. This is mission critical. The way the world is going to sit up and take notice of this beautiful thing that we call the church is when the church works together and is unified even though we disagree on some stuff. Even though we've been raised in such different ways that we're never going to see the world in the same way. Yet at the same time, there is this beautiful supernatural unity that there's love that just flows from one to another. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, this is the way forward. This is the way. This will eventually get the attention of the doubting world. So Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. He's saying, don't sacrifice your unity for anything. Jesus was asking his heavenly father to come along and nudge that generation of Christians and the next generation of Christians to nudge us toward what he had just talked about with his disciples earlier when he was having the last supper with them. Because in that conversation with his disciples, he said, look, I'm about to leave and I'm about to give you a new command and establish a brand new covenant. The new command is going to replace all the other commands. And it's so simple that nobody could ever forget it. My new command is this, love one another. You are to love one another. To which they all would have said, you know, that's not really new, Jesus. He says, hang on, I'm not done yet. Love one another as I have loved you. He's saying, I've modeled this for you. As I have loved you, you're to love one another. In this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. And this was a new command, not a new suggestion. These are our marching orders. And again, it's not even about us, because look what he says about this. The reason I want us to love each other so much is not just so you get along. It's because this unique kind of love, one for another, even though you're not like one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. He's going, Father, please help them to get this right. Please help them. Because when this thing expands, and it grows from Judea to Samaria to Orlando to Portland and Rio, they're going to be so different. Please help them to love each other. 
Now let's go back to his prayer from John 17. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. There it is again. I and them and you and me so that all of us can be brought to complete unity. Not uniformity, not sameness, not likeness, not even political unity. Jesus is talking about unity that is brought about by love in spite of differences. Again, can we do this? Can we disagree politically and yet love unconditionally? I mean, that's what it all comes down to. In essence, Jesus was praying, Heavenly Father, you and I know that everything rides on their unity, not around their politics, not around their culture, not around their language, not around their worldview, not around how they do baptism or communion or how they sing or what day they meet. Above all the differences, there must be love. So after the resurrection of Jesus, the believers all go to the streets of Jerusalem and clearly they went with one purpose. Their purpose was to make disciples of all nations. And they went with one message, which is this, that Jesus is the Messiah. He came and laid down his life unlike any other king of all time. He laid down his life to create an on-ramp to the Heavenly Father. See, here's the thing, here's the thing. You're all intelligent, smart people, and you already know this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Your political candidate for president or for whatever office, your political candidate will win or lose depending on how America votes on a Tuesday coming up pretty soon. But the church will win or lose based on our behavior every single day between now and then. I hope that you vote, I hope everybody votes. Let me say this again. Your political candidate will win or lose based on how the U.S votes on a Tuesday coming up soon. But the church wins or loses, the community wins or loses. To some degree, our nation wins or loses based on how we treat and love each other. And quite frankly, it needs to change big time. I mean, if we're gonna survive this season, it needs to change because it is not good, not good. We must not allow anything to divide us and we must not allow anyone to divide us. Remember this, it was Christianity and these unique upside down themes of Christianity that shaped Western civilization. I mean, almost nobody disagrees with that. Even staunch atheists will agree with that. It was the teaching of Jesus that laid the groundwork for our modern sense of justice and fairness in the world and the dignity of every single individual. And we've not, got, not gotten that right all the time and we still get it wrong in some spots. But our hope is not in the perfect political party. Our hope is in the message of Jesus. So why in the world would we opt for something less than that very high call? Why would we as followers of an eternal king allow ourselves to be divided by lesser kings? I think Jesus might say to us today, vote your conscience, but don't you dare mistreat someone made in my image. So. I want to make a couple suggestions as we start off this journey together. A couple of things. Here's the first. Would you pray like Jesus prayed? Because most of us have never prayed a prayer like this before. Would you pray for oneness? I'm going to give you a short little prayer, and it's really simple. It's not the best prayer in the world, but it's short, and you might jot it down or even take a screenshot so you can remember it. But I'd like us to pray this out loud together. It's so simple. 
because this is God's will for us, friends. And here it is. It'll come up on your screen. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. Say that again. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. Now, this is not at all about getting more people into a church. This is about people coming to know God because God's people finally got out of the way enough. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. Okay, here's the second thing. Look for an opportunity to love someone unconditionally, someone with whom you disagree politically. You might be like, well, I don't even know anybody that I disagree with politically. Well, that's a problem. Hopefully you can see that that is an issue and that's where you need to get started, right there. And that's why you're so convinced you're right all the time. (laughs) Broaden your perspective a little bit. So find someone with whom you disagree politically. Serve and love them unconditionally from the heart. If you do, your light is gonna shine a little bit brighter. So disagree politically and yet love unconditionally and pray for oneness. Let's take this to the Lord, can we? Lord, we're so grateful for your word which guides us. Thank you, Lord, that in this season, which is so hot politically, Lord, would you bring this truth and keep this truth at the front of our minds that we might disagree politically with the people around us, but yet we can still love them unconditionally with your power at work within us. We can do this, Lord. So God, would you fill your people with the power to do this, with the grace to do this, with the awareness to keep this in mind. And Lord, as we embark in these few weeks together, I pray that you would mold and shape our minds in a way that would honor you in our world right where we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I love you, Life Church. I miss seeing you in person. Uh, be praying about uh, the time that we come back together again. We're thinking, talking, praying about it all the time. Uh, until we do come back together, let me just leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.